All right, well, good morning to everyone. Welcome to The Well here at STSA, where we are in part four of a series called Unhurried. We're looking at four practices from the life of Jesus about how to live a unhurried, unrushed, unstressed out life. And I hope you're enjoying this series. I've gotten a lot of really good feedback. Okay, nod your heads, you've been enjoying this series. It's been beneficial for you. Okay, a lot of people have been reaching out to me and telling me how this has come at just the right time. We really need to hear this. But I'll tell you one person who isn't enjoying this series is my wife. She's been hating this series. You know why? Because this is something that I've seen for several years, and my wife, we live this. Anytime I preach a series, we live it. Anytime I preach a series, we live through it. So if I preach a series about the importance of prayer, then a million things stop me from trying to pray. Something about faith, there's going to be a challenge of faith. So ever since I started preaching this series about unhurried, being honest right here, my schedule, the number of commitments, the number of unexpected things, the number of calls, the number of meetings, the number of things, and it's not just me, because it used to always just kind of be me, but now it's like my kids, like I got two teenage kids, 18 and 16, so their schedules, plus my wife's schedule, collectively as a family, I want to say, we've actually never had more things in our schedule than we have these days, because we live every series that, we, that I preach. That's why, by the way, my wife will never let me do a series on Job. I've wanted many times, but she said, no, you ain't doing it, because the wife doesn't, doesn't go good for the wife in that one, okay, right there. But I've learned something through this because she's asking me, do you feel like, am I like a hypocrite standing up here preaching this about unhurried and our schedule is so hurried, hurried, hurried? And I said, no, you know why? Because I'm learning something about this unhurried life is it's not a formula, is it's not a legalistic adherence to a set of rules that says, you know what, that every detail of my life, I'm going to control it exactly this way because that's not life. Like, I, I, it's not going to be that uh, we're going to preach this series that I'm going to say, okay, no one's allowed to call me except, like, you call me between 4 and 5. If you have any emergency after 4 and 5, okay, wait till next Thursday because Thursday's 4 to 5. Or I can't tell my kids, you know what, it's my Sabbath, find your own ride home. Or, or, or Like, that's not how it works. Because the goal isn't an empty schedule. The goal of this series is an unhurried and undistracted soul in the middle of the busyness, in the middle of the chaos. And I believe that's possible. Like I said, we're looking at Jesus as our example. Jesus lived an unhurried life. Everyone agree with that. Is that because Jesus' schedule was empty? Is that because Jesus said, you know what, like, I only do healings on Thursdays? Is it because Jesus is unhurried because he didn't, didn't have Netflix back then? So, I mean, <laughs> obviously he had a lot less to do. I think Jesus found a way to find peace in the midst of the chaos. To find stillness in the midst of the noise. To find a way to quiet his soul, even though there was chaos and hurry all around him. And that's the goal of this series. Because as soon as we see Jesus leaving, again, we said Jesus, no one was busier than Jesus. But you never saw Jesus stressed. You never saw Jesus rushed. You never told him, saw him say to someone, come back to me next week. I don't have time for you right now. Jesus always found a way that in the midst of a chaos to live an unhurried life, that's our goal is not to remove the stuff around us. Because we can't. I mean, as much as we wish. Now, of course, we want to as best we can, but that life happens. But can we find peace in the midst of it? I believe the answer is yes. Jesus set the example, and then he invites us to do the same. When he says this, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29, this is our theme verse. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, to which all of us would say, that's why I'm here this Sunday. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, say this word, I will give you rest. Then he tells us how. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And you will find rest 
for your souls. Notice Jesus here. We talked about this in the first week in case you missed it. Jesus says, I want to give you rest. We're like, great, give it to me. And the way you get rest is by taking a yoke. And yoke doesn't sound like rest. Yoke sounds like more work. But that's the whole point of this series, is that when we follow the practices and the lifestyle of Jesus, which is more work, then we will find rest by living his lifestyle. That's his promise. And why this is so important to remember, okay? This is so important as we begin today's topic in particular, because there's going to be this temptation that as we talk about these practices of Jesus, for you to think to yourself like, okay, I should do this because it's like good for me and I should deny myself and I should sacrifice and I should, you know, carry my cross and crucify the flesh, like all those buzzwords we heard in middle school, Sunday school class, and we don't even know what they mean. And there's going to be this temptation to think that I should do these things because somehow God wants me to do it for his sake. And I'm saying, no, look up there on the screen. This is all about one thing. Well, I'm going to challenge you to do these practices so that you will find rest. Not so that he will find rest or not that he needs anything. This is all Jesus saying, you want, every one of us say, we want rest. We want rest. We want rest. Jesus says, okay, I'm going to give you the path. And the path is to live as I lived. Because if you don't walk in the footsteps of Jesus, you won't find the results of Jesus. Remember, we talked about week one. We want the life of Jesus. The life of Jesus comes from the lifestyle of Jesus. So with that, we've looked at two habits so far. The first habit was silence and solitude. And we saw that how Jesus, the busier Jesus got, the more time he made for silence and solitude. The busier he got, the more time he went to escape away. Because remember, we talked about clarity comes in the quiet. Clarity comes in the quiet, whereas hurry comes in the riot. We talked about that in week one. And if we're his followers and we want to live as he lived, then the busier we get, then we need to make more time to escape into the solitude and the silence. That was week one. The second week, we looked at the habit of Sabbath. And I say habit, really what it should be is a command, okay, because it's one of the top 10 commands that Jesus said is take one day. That was the rhythm that Jesus made. And remember, you're not doing it for his sake. Remember, he said Sabbath was not, man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for man. And we talked about last week how Sabbath is the best gift, the best gift that goes unopened every week. Every seven days, God gives us a gift and says, rest, rest your souls, rest your bodies, rest your spirits, rest your relationship. And it's a gift. And we're like, no, we're too busy. We're too busy. We're too busy. And all we're doing is leaving that gift under the Christmas tree year after year, week after week. There's that gift. And we're like, we're so hurried and we're so rushed. And that ain't because of God, because God commanded it commanded it that every seven days you take one of rest. That was last week's topic. We talked about how when you fight that, you fight the natural order of this world. Because as we've been seeing is the number one enemy, the number one enemy, I told you, the number one enemy that you have today to your spiritual growth, to your quality of life, the number one enemy to your life today isn't sin. It's a distracted and hurried soul. The number one enemy that is going to shortchange you when all is said and done, when you get to the other side of life and you say, I didn't live the way I wanted to. Maybe, it not, probably not because you fell into this huge sin or something like that, but maybe it's because you rushed through and lived a distracted and hurried life. And that's what we're trying to fight against today. So those are our first two practices. You missed any of those, go get caught up on our YouTube channel. Today, we're going to go to our third practice. And like I said in a minute ago, I'm going to look at these first two and I can say, okay, it probably is to my benefit to take a day off so I can see the benefit of that. It probably is to my benefit to kind of shut down every now and then and spend time with God. I can see that. But this third habit I'm going to talk about today, you're going to be tempted to think has no benefit to you whatsoever. 
You're going to be tempted to think, okay, I just have to sacrifice and do it. I have to carry my cross. It's something that's, that's painful, but it's just the cost you pay for being a Christian. And again, I don't want you to think that way. This is something that God is offering to give you rest. And that practice that we're going to talk about today is simplicity. Not the giving up of anything, but the acquiring of something much greater. I say simplicity. What do you think of? What's simplicity? Simplicity, okay, I'll give you some other words that you could use interchangeably, like simple living. Okay, you may have heard that before. The word that, like the church, original word the church always used throughout the years, but has kind of a negative connotation today was frugality, living a frugal life. But today that has kind of a negative connotation, so I'll stay away from that. The word that's very popular today is minimalism. I don't know what minimalism means. So if what I'm going to say today in simplicity is what you define minimalism, okay. But my fear with it is that minimalism for many people, it's become a thing. You know how nowadays everything is a thing? Like everything has to have like a thing. Like you say minimalism and it means like you watch this show, you shop at these, you have these bins, okay, you label it this way. It's like a very complicated system, okay, you only have black and white paintings, okay, because you're minimalism or your house is shaped with angles or weird things, okay. So I'm not talking about any of that. I don't even know what any of that stuff means. I'm talking about simplicity is much simpler than any of that. I'm going to give you a few definitions before we get to our definition. Quote from a, a Christian author named Joshua Becker. He says this, Simplicity is the intentional promotion of the things we most value and the removal of everything that distracts us from them. I like that. That's a good definition. The intentional promotion, so living intentionally and purposefully, using my time, my energy for the things that we most value and anything that doesn't fit that, being intentional about removing it. Distraction. Next, from Henry David Thoreau. Everyone knows who he is. He said, simplicity, simplicity, simplicity. I say, let your affairs be as two or three, not as a hundred or a thousand. Why should we live with such hurry and waste of life? To which we say, amen. Because there's something inherently inside all of us that knows this to be true. That the more stuff we have, the more stuff possessions, the more money, the more the stuff and the materials, the more stuff, the busier and the more hurried we are. Because it's not just about acquiring that stuff. It's about maintaining that stuff and cleaning that stuff and repairing that stuff and then replacing that stuff and then buying that stuff for the next generation so they have that stuff. And all of us, several people are nodding right now because we know that something inside of us, simplicity, getting rid of the stuff is... Uh, it's freeing. That's what simplicity is all about. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says it this way. It says, let your conduct be, be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. So St. Paul gives us the definition that I'm going to use as our working definition. What is simplicity? It means this. It's the opposite of covetousness, and it is the application of contentment. So it is the opposite of covetousness. Wanting more, needing more. Gotta have, gotta have, gotta have. It's the opposite of covetousness, which is different than greed. It's the opposite of covetousness. It is the fulfillment or application of contentment. I'm good with what I got. Simplicity doesn't mean, like I said, is that you follow a certain person on social media or that you take yearly trips to the dump to empty whatever it may be and empty your closet. I would even argue, if you got to take so many trips to declutter and, and dump stuff, that you don't have a simple life as it is. Simplicity is about removing the things that kill joy, that kill peace, that kill quiet, that kill contented, contentedness, that kill prayer, 
that steal time, all those things in our life, those possessions, there is a cost associated with them. And if we're not careful, we're going to end up paying a higher price for them than just the sticker price. Because the way our culture is today, this is something that is embedded inside all of us, every single one of us, regardless of how spiritual, this is embedded inside of us. Culture today, especially in this area, tells you work, spend your time, spend your time, spend your time, spend your time to get stuff, spend your time to get money, spend your time to get ahead. But the smart people in life, they don't spend their time to get money. They spend their money to get time. Because it's time where all the stuff that you say you want in life requires time. The relationships, the depth happens in the time, not in the money. The quality, relationship, spiritual, the prayer, that doesn't happen in the stuff. That happens in the time. The peace, the physical health. Someone's got to be honest. Our physical health. That's not the money. We're spending all of our time to get the money and the stuff. The smart person says, I'd rather use my stuff and my money to get time. Psalm says it this way, Psalm 39.6. I wonder if, 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 if this could be said about today. Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom. In vain they rush about heaping up wealth without knowing whose it will finally be. Sound about accurate for today? People rushing around, just a mere shadow of themselves, rushing around to get what? Heap up stuff? They don't even know what's going to go when all is said and done. Now look, I don't want to insult your intelligence. I truly believe that the people sitting in this room right here are very, all of you are very intelligent. All of you are very smart. You're successful in your careers. Okay, Every, I'm, not, I'm not trying to insult anyone's intelligence. If we're all smart, we all know. Like if I gave you a piece of paper and I said, does money solve all the problems of the world? Everyone would say no. Does having more stuff and more, more materialism, will it make you more happy? We'd all say no. We'd all say no. But we all know that. But then why is it that we fall into that trap? Like if we all know that the stuff isn't the answer, why is it we spend so much time pursuing this stuff? Well, I believe because there is a lie that is seeping in, that seeps into us from when we are very young. And if we're honest, we actually perpetrate this lie as well with our children sometimes and with others because it's something that's just embedded inside all of us. And that lie is this. The more I have, the happier I'll be. We would never say it. You would never say, the more I have, the happier I'll be. But I'll bet you, go deep inside, that's what you think. The more I have, the happier I'll be. If you look at commercials, we're talking about Super Bowl coming up soon. If you look at commercials, okay, something that I, I, I like to do, you look at commercials. Commercials when we were kids did something weird. They talked about the product they were selling. Now it's not like that. Now you watch a commercial, you don't even know what it's for. Okay, it's a little logo at the end. Because commercials, and this is something you can, you, can, you can read about this, okay? Like there's studies about this. Commercials today don't sell products. Commercials today don't talk about the products. You know what commercials are selling these days? Happiness. And trust me, go watch it. Now, now that I'm going to put this in there, okay? Play this game. We, like, I like to, to, to think of this sometimes to do it with my kids. Guess the lie. So you're watching the commercial. Guess what lie is being told to you. So you, we'll play this game together. You see the, the, the sports car. Okay, the, the, the fancy car, whatever it is, and then the guy comes out, and then who's standing by the car? The girl. What's the lie? Buy the car, you'll get the girl. That's the lie. Is that buy this car, and you have girls like that all over you. 
Okay, I got another one for you. The McDonald's or the, the Wendy's or the Chick-fil-A, or not Chick-fil-A, the, the, the Hardee's or whatever, maybe Chick-fil-A, we, we promote those guys, okay? <laughs> I got some endorsement deals after last week, okay? <laughs> you see the father and the son or the mother and the daughter, whatever it may be, and it's like a Saturday morning and she's got her little soccer cleats, okay, and they're sharing a fry and then the music and then the smile. They're not selling the food. What are they selling? The relationship. Come to McDonald's, all your relationship problems will be solved with your kids, okay? And never taking my kids. I, okay, I go to McDonald's, I see kids there all the time, and they hate their parents, and they hate each other. Okay, how about the best one? Okay, the one where I'm looking, the one I, I'm watching, and I'm like, it's like looking in a mirror. You know, like the body wash commercial with the guy, okay? He's like, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, like the guy looks just like me. Everyone says that, like that guy, okay? And he comes out, and he's like this, okay? The, 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 the lie there is, use this body wash, and you'll be buff, and you'll be ripped, and you'll be whatever it may be. They're not selling the body wash. They're not selling the food. They're not selling the car. They're selling the happy. They're selling that if you just buy this. I'm not saying you will be happy for the rest of your life if you buy this, but you will be happier. That's what they're selling. Buy this product. Fill in the blank. You won't be happy, but you'll be happier. And each one of us, okay, we know this inherently, and every study will tell you, every study will tell you that more stuff does not equal more happiness. More stuff does not equal more happiness. And we know this to be true just from our own lives. Today, we have more stuff than ever. We have more stuff than ever. But every study will tell you you are the most unhappy, most depressed of all time. There's an article called The Progress Paradox. Okay, so this is a great article. I'm going to show you a quote in a second, but listen to the name. How life gets better while people feel worse. That's how society is today. Life keeps getting better. Standard of life keeps going up while people feel worse. Okay, from a guy named Greg Easterbrook. He says this. He said, adjusting for population growth, 10 times as many people in Western nations today suffer from unipolar depression, which is what? Means unremitting bad feelings without a specific cause than did a half century ago. I'm going to read that one again. 10 times as many people in Western nations today suffer from unipolar depression, unremitting bad feelings without a specific cause than did a century, half a century ago. Americans and Europeans have ever more of everything except happiness. And this isn't, like, this isn't a breakthrough study. You know this. More stuff does not equal more happiness. So could it be, could it be that society has lied to us? Could it be that marketers, nothing against marketing people, could it be that the people who make billions of dollars off of those commercials don't have my best interest at heart? That they are trying to get rich off of selling me something that will never ever happen? What does this have to do with hurry? As I said a minute ago, we keep buying, we keep consuming, we keep gathering, and the end result is more time to maintain, more time to clean, more time to replace, more time at work to pay for the more stuff. And more, not just that more time at work, but sometimes, you know what, at work, you need to work a little bit even extra, throw an elbow or two to step on somebody so I can get that promotion to afford the thing that's going to make me happy. But even though it doesn't really make me happy because I ain't ever even at home enough to enjoy it. And when I am at home, I'm so stressed how I'm going to pay for it. But it's making me happy. It's worth it, right? I'll give you another quote right here from a French sociologist. 
who says, in the Western world, materialism has become the new dominant system of meaning. Atheism hasn't replaced cultural Christianity. Shopping has. Is there a better way? Are we doomed to this way? Because this is just how we've been raised? Or is there a better way? I believe there is a better way. And that way was shown to us by our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to look right now at a few verses okay, that show us how Jesus teaches us to live. First, we'll get the principle, then we'll get the practice of how he lived. But just right off the bat, in case you're wondering, am I going to say that we should all sell our houses, you know, live off the land, you know, dig a hole in the backyard, and that's our toilet? Like, is that what I'm going to say? That's not what I'm going to say. Listen carefully. The money, the possessions, and the stuff is not the problem. The money, the possessions, and the stuff is not the problem. We are the problem. The problem is something much deeper than the stuff. It's something in the human condition. Say it this way. The problem isn't money, stuff, or possessions. It's that we put no limit on our consumption of money, stuff, or possessions. The problem isn't money, stuff, or possessions. The problem is that we put no limit on our consumption of it. Think of it like food. Food is not bad. Food is good. But if you put no limit on your consumption of it, unless you got the metabolism of like a high school boy, unless you got that, you're going to be in problems if you put no limit on your consumption. Because as the expression goes, the eyes are bigger than the stomach, right? We've all been there. Okay, we go on the buffet. The eyes want this. The stomach can't handle it. So we have to put a limit, okay, on our, uh, our consumption or else we're going to be in trouble. Well, the same is true with materialism. It's not just with food. We have a desire inside of us to have more, to have more, to have more. Simplicity says we got to put a limit on it or else we're going to be in trouble. A few verses from scripture, Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Jesus says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Notice, by the way, I'm going to show you these verses. None of these verses are a commandment. We talked about this last week. He's not commanding us, give, give, give. He's just making a observation. Jesus is just telling us, this is how the world works, like gravity. I don't command gravity. I'm just telling you how gravity works. What goes up must come down. That's just, that's just a law of life. That's not commandment. It's the same thing here. I'm not telling you to give, but I'm telling you, you want to be more blessed? You want to be happier? Blessed can also be translated happy. You want more joy? You want more blessing from above in life? You should give more. Well, I don't have to give. Okay, don't give. But don't ask for more blessing. Because it's more blessed to give than to receive. So God bless me, bless me. Okay, here's the path. And you know this to be true. We've all experienced this. It feels good to get stuff. But it feels better to give stuff. You know that. Like another toy for Christmas versus the time at Christmas that we help somebody who is in need. It feels good to do that. Next verse, Luke chapter 12, verse 15. A verse, no one would disagree with this verse. Not a commandment, but Jesus says, one's life does not consist in abundance of things he possesses. No one would, like, would anyone disagree? Say, no, the most important thing in life, your life is what you own. No one would say that. We would all agree. Let's say my life is more than my garage. My life is more than what's in my closet. My life is more than the number of shoes I have. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. We say it. Next verse, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Okay, so I will give you that some of you may look at that and say, love of money, root of all evil. I disagree with that. I'll, I'll say, okay, you can disagree with that, and I'll accept that. I disagree with you, but I'll allow you to disagree. But you can't disagree with the second half, because you know someone. You, every one of us knows someone whose life has been destroyed, pierced through with many sorrows, 
by the pursuit of stuff and money. And it's cost them way more than they realize. It's cost them their health. It's cost them their family. It's cost them their spiritual. Every one of us knows someone who has fulfilled that word, verse. So because of that, again, I'm not saying these are commandments. None of these are commandments. All these are, this is how life works. So given that these verses, and we can see many, many more, my question to you is, is it worth at least asking the question? Is it worth asking the question? Does more stuff actually make me more happy? That's how we operate. But is it worth taking a step back and saying, if I buy that, will I actually be happier? Will my life actually be better? Will I actually have more peace? Will I actually have more joy? Will I actually have a deeper relationship with God? Like all of a sudden we've been talking about these past few weeks, that we want rest, we want time, we want joy, we want freedom, we want to worship God. Well, is any of this stuff going to lead to that? Or is it the opposite? Just more headache. Just more, you know what, all it is, the more stuff I buy, the bigger the house, the more the car. It just means it's tacking on years until I can retire. So it means more time and a job that I hate to, you know, to pay for all this stuff. And less time of the things that I say matter. I say time with my kids matter. I say I want to have a, a time with God matters. I say the ability to rest my soul. Like I say those things matter. But then the buying of all this stuff is working directly against it. Is it at least worth asking if I believe the lie? Now, if you say, what do I do about this? How do I fix this? Okay, I'm going to give you right now six, seven, how many got? Seven. I'm going to give you seven tips on how to live a simple life. And this is not like, okay, an exhaustive list or the entire, this is just, I'm going to go through these real quick in case you're wondering like, okay, what do I do? I believe the lie. How can I fix it? I'm going to give you seven things. I'm going to go through them quick. Okay, but you, I'm going to put them up all on the screen. You can take a picture. We'll talk about each one. First one, the most important one, before you buy anything, ask yourself, what is the true cost of this item? Before you buy anything, ask yourself, what is the true cost of this item? So again, the car, the sticker price is, you know, $20,000. We're probably more than 20,000. I don't know how much it costs, but whatever the price is. But then there's more to it because it's not just the cost. It's the cost to maintain, the cost to repair, the cost to insure, the cost of interest, because I'm sure I'm going to finance it because you got to finance everything these days because no one cares how much something costs. All that matters is how much it costs this month, okay? So how much is it going to cost? I'm going to pay in insurance. And then you're going to ask yourself, in addition to all that, the time it's going to consume, you're going to ask yourself, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is that purchase? And I'm not telling you not to buy it. I'm not telling you don't buy anything. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is ask the question. I say, I want to rest. Will this purchase help me to rest? I say I want to worship God. Will this purchase help me to worship God? I say I want peace. Will this ask yourself the question. The things that I say are most important. Will this purchase help me get there or not? Number two, never impulse buy. Never impulse buy. Raise your hand if you've ever been online and ended up buying something without even realizing you were shopping for it. Anyone ever happened to them? Ad popped up. Okay, the little thing, okay, overtook you over here, this recommended, whatever it may be, and all of a sudden you found yourself, okay, with a full cart, and, 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 or raise your hand if you, you don't have to raise your hand. Have you ever gone to Costco with a list and ended up needing to call your spouse to bring the second cart? Or the one that my wife always tells me, I don't even know what this is, all defines, all defines, all defines. I don't know what all defines are, okay? But every time she comes home from that store, she said she found this, whatever, it's all defines, all defines, which is just a, an aisle, which they tell you this is what, I don't know, whatever it may be, okay? 
For me, my thing, none of that stuff bothers me. My weak spot is Home Depot. That's my weak spot. Because I'm going in there to make a copy of a key. And then I see, oh, 800 horsepower leaf blower? Oh. Or the, uh, the one I saw, the 14-in-1 socket wrench. 14-in-1 socket wrench. And I'm thinking to myself, I got to have that. Like, how, am I, how, how did I survive all these years without the 14-in-1 socket wrench? Well, here's what I discovered. Here's what I discovered. The longer you sit on the decision, I'm not telling you don't buy it. I'm not telling you don't buy it. I'm just saying give it a little bit of time. The longer you sit on it, the more you realize, you know what? I got a 12-in-1 socket wrench and I made it this far in life. I think I can survive without the 14-in-1. And I'm telling you, from my bottom of my heart, it feels good to not buy something. It feels good to go home and say, I was going to, and then I didn't. No impulse buys. Number three, this one I don't even think I should have to say, but unfortunately I do. Live by a budget. I'm shocked at the number of people when I ask that do not live by a budget. I'm not trying to shame anyone or make you feel bad, but I'm telling you, you're making a big mistake. Because a budget is to your money what a schedule is to your time. Like, do you just wake up in the morning and say like, I'm just going to spend my day whatever comes across my way. <laughs> so anyone who invites me to anything, I'm just going to spend the day that way. Okay. You, 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 you're not going to live a very productive or successful day. You wake up in the morning and you say, this is what I need to do. I have this number of hours of the day. I'm going to spend it here, spend it here. And hopefully you put the most important things in first, big rocks first. Well, same thing with your money. Why do you just like you? I don't know about you. I work hard for my money. I work hard and my wife works hard. So I'm going to just let it throw it up in the air and let the wind blow whatever it wants. I'm going to do that. I'm going to protect it. So I'm going to make sure that if I'm going to spend, it, it's going to go on the important things. But if you don't live by a budget, you just, whatever comes across your way and, uh, you know, dollar here, dollar there, 10 here, 10 there. Nah, that's not how it works. Now, if you're wondering how to start a budget, there's about a thousand apps and websites, okay, and complicated things that can help you start a budget. If you're into that, you go figure that out. I have an Excel spreadsheet that I print out on the first of the month and I keep it on my desk. And anytime I spend money, I write it in with pen and paper. So it doesn't need to be complicated. It just needs to be something where you keep track of the things that you're spending your money on and you're intentional about it. You don't wait to figure it out. You say, I'm gonna spend on this, this, and this. Moving on. Number four, get into the habit of giving stuff away. <clears throat> get into the habit of giving stuff away. The verse we saw earlier, Jesus said, is more blessed to give than to receive. Everybody believe what Jesus said is true, right? Everyone believe him. Anyone think Jesus was lying? And Jesus was pulling a fast one? So if Jesus says it is more blessed, and we said blessed can mean happy, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We all want blessed, we all want happy then we should practice it. So get into the habit of giving stuff away. What does that mean? It means, you know what? It's nice to, like I said, it's nice when someone gives me a sweater. Not me, but you. Okay. But you know what's more nice? When I give a sweater away. When I find someone who is in need, I give it away. It feels better. Like I got 600 sweaters. It's nice to give away. Like you feel better. As nice it is to, you know what? I want to buy clothes for my kids. That's nice. But you know what's more nice? To buy clothes for somebody else's kids. Maybe a, a new mom, okay, struggling, they don't have. So just not even buy. Just give old stuff away, okay? It's, it's much more efficient if we just kind of recycle the things, the cribs and the things like that, okay? And I know there's safety stuff, and I don't understand that, but you know what I'm trying to say. As great as it is to get stuff for ourselves, the best part of living on a budget, the best part of not buying the 14-in-1 socket wrench, the best part of spending less is to be able to give away more. And I'll bet you that most of us 
could go walk into our closets today and just give away half of the stuff and we wouldn't even feel it. And in fact, I bet you, I'm not telling you to do this, okay, but I'm just saying, if you really, I bet you most of us could give away half of our possessions today and actually not only not feel it, but feel much better in the morning than we did right now because it would simplify our lives. Number five, learn to enjoy things without owning them. Learn to enjoy things without owning them. Do I really need that vacation home in the islands? Can I just Airbnb the bad boy whenever I need to go? Do I really need, this is a touchy subject right here. Ladies, do I really need to buy a new dress for that wedding? Yeah, yes, <laughs> yes I do, okay? Someone is making their case. Yes, I do need to buy that new wedding. Okay, very good, okay. Or something that I've advocated, I realize that I don't get this because I wear the same outfit, wedding, the funeral, okay, the beat, like I get it. So, but all I'm saying is, do I really need to buy or is there maybe a friend who has a similar size that we can be like, you wear this dress to that wedding and I wear that one and then we switch back. Like, does it have to be? Does it have to be? And I know I'm being heretical right now. <laughs> Let's move to the next subject. Does, do I, okay, watch this one. Do I really need a bigger yard? Do my kids really need a bigger yard to play? Or can I just walk the five minutes to the park and they can play on, on, God's, part, on God's land for any time they want? Like what I'm saying is we have to learn before we buy something that we can still enjoy it without owning it. <clears throat> and I know you say that's not practical. But I want to show you some, I want to show you the early church found this not only very practical, but very life-giving. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. It says, The multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. They shared stuff. They shared their, 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 their fields. They shared their crops. They shared their wedding dresses, probably, okay? They found a way to, to not have to, everyone had to own their own thing. And I'll give you another quote, okay, from a church father named Tertullian. He says, we hold all things in common except our wives. That's a great quote. We hold all things in common except our wives. And then later on, you know what he said? I didn't put it up on the screen, but I should have. He, he's talking to the, the, the Romans, okay, like the pagans. He said, we hold all things in common except our wives. You Romans hold nothing in common except your wives. <laughs> Boom, touche, okay? Gave it to them. But the point is, we can share. We don't have to own everything on our own. And that's what family, hopefully, moving on, okay? <laughs> Number six, beware of the latest and greatest new thing. Beware of the latest and greatest new thing. And you have to know your personality. Some of us are really drawn to the latest and greatest new thing. Just because, okay, forget about adults right now. Let's talk to children. Okay, let's, we're all going to talk to our children. And we would say, Junior, just because there's a newer version of that toy doesn't mean you need to have it. Right? Like, remember when we were kids and it was like Madden, you know, uh, 94, and then Madden 95. Madden, and our parents were like, oh, it's called Madden. What's the difference? Okay, we're like, no, we have to. We say to our kids, okay, no, just because there's a newer version, you don't need to have it. You have a doll, okay, and it does stuff, but the new doll, like, you know, cries and like, you know, you wash its feet and it poops and the diaper, like, you don't need it. The, the doll you got is fine. You don't need it. That's for kids, right? Everyone agree for kids. What about big kids? What if there's a new toy, a new version, version 11, 11X, 11X, you know, mega or mini or whatever. Okay, we pay more for the mega, we pay more for the mini. Like, make up your mind. They can't both be better than the, than the regular. But that's what we do. And I'm saying for us, how many times 
do we end up buying a solution to a problem we didn't have to begin with? We buy a solution to a problem that we didn't have to begin with. We were fine with the original solution. Then someone gave us a new solution, so we're like, okay, we're going to buy the solution, and we're going to figure out what the problem that it's solving is later on. Never buy something unless it solves a problem that you already knew about before you saw the product. Number seven, lead a cheerful, happy revolt against the spirit of materialism. And that is not a quote for me. That is a quote from St. Francis of Assisi. Okay, St. Francis of Assisi, the one who started the Franciscan monks, monks, lived a life of simplicity. And this is what they used to say, that we will lead a cheerful, happy revolt against the spirit of, spirit of materialism. And what St. Francis and his followers saw was that this message of simplicity was they preached it in the same way that we, they preached the gospel of salvation. Not as a like, don't be materialistic, don't be greedy, you're going to kill yourself. They didn't see it that way. They preached in a way of like, you want joy? You want freedom? You want to live simply, or you want, you want to live free lives, peaceful lives? Learn to live simply, and you will be the main beneficiary of it. And that needs to be our message. This is not about denying the flesh or crucifying yourself or anything like that. This is about being able to enjoy the better things in life. Maybe you've heard this expression before. You, can, you would have less but better. Maybe you've heard that before. Less but better. Less but better. I disagree. I would say less is better. I'm not sacrificing anything. Less is better. And that's the, word, the message that we need to desperately hear today. Last thing, I want to leave you with a passage, a verse that I'm sure you've seen before. Okay, Philippians 4.13, one of the most famous verses in the New Testament. St. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is, if you ask me, the most misquoted verse in all the Bible. The most misunderstood, misquoted, misapplied verse in all the Bible. Because we always see this verse, and usually we see it where? It's like, you know, this challenge. You know, like, uh, we're gonna, like I'm going to beat cancer. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or we're going to raise this money for this project. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. You see this at like high school football games. You know, beat Valley. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Okay? That's very nice. But it has nothing to do with how the verse was written. If you want to know the context of this verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, let's look at the two verses prior to it. It says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. In other words, because I've learned to be content, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This verse has nothing to do with winning football games or defeating Goliath, some obstacle. It has to do with overcoming the number one obstacle which is inside every human being, which is this feeling of discontentment, of always wanting more, needing more, got to have more, acquiring more. St. Paul says, I have learned how to not feel like I need more. I don't want anything more. Like, I'm good. I don't need anything more. That's why he can say, I can do all things. Because if I can do that, <laughs> I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <clears throat> and that's the message that I believe God wants us to have as well. Truth is that we can live content without those extra things. We can live rich, satisfying, fulfilling lives without any of that stuff, regardless of the amount of income we have, regardless of the size of our house, regardless of if we have this car or that car or the car drives itself where I have to actually use my hands to drive it. I can still be happy with my hands on the steering wheel. It's not the end of the world.
That's what the message of simplicity is all about. And if you want to take one point or one practice, one way to practice this as you go out today, we've all heard the question, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do as a good way of making decisions? Well, I think in this case, it's very applicable, but I would make one small tweak to it. I would add a few words at the very end, not just what would Jesus do, but what would Jesus do if he were me? What would Jesus do if he were me? In other words, if Jesus was my age, if Jesus had my career, if Jesus had my level of income, if Jesus had my upbringing, if Jesus had my home and my, my relationship status, and Jesus had my aspirations, what would Jesus do? Would he buy these shoes or not? Would he invest in that opportunity or not? Would he pursue this? Would he upgrade that? What would Jesus do if Jesus walked in my shoes today? And I believe asking yourself that question before you make a purchase, I believe there will be a cost associated with it. There's always a cost to following Jesus. But I believe that not asking the question will have a greater cost. That living your life, allowing your desire for consumption of more and more and more, allowing that to, con to rule over your life will have a much greater cost in the end because in the end we cannot find the life of Jesus without the lifestyle of Jesus. We cannot find the rest that he offers unless we're willing to carry his yoke and live the way he lived. So for me, if I find the rest that Jesus had, if I find the life that Jesus had, if I find that peace, but it costs me some stuff or some possessions or some money, I'd say that's a trade that's worth making. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you, because we know, Lord, that we have everything that we need to live a rich, satisfying, fulfilling life. We have it all when we have you in our, in, in our life, and we're part of your family. So please, Lord, help us to go against the grain here. Help us to, to not believe the lie that more stuff will make us more happy. We already know it isn't true, but give us the discipline and give us the self-control to, to, to make better decisions, Lord, so we can live a simpler life and experience the rest that you so desire for us to have. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord. For thy